All right. Hello, my name is Austin. Um, I'm a part of the team here at Waypoint. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. Um, man, that was that was great. I love that song. Um, and uh, I'm a little a little misty up here. Um, our daughter Ophelia. Um, I have the privilege of being the father of uh, two wonderful little girls, Ophelia and Leora, and uh, it's just um, listening to them uh, sing and speak the name of Jesus um, just moves me. It's a, it's a, it's a really cool thing, um, and I can't help but think if I feel that way, how God must feel as he hears his children sing and praise the name of Jesus. And so I think I was just, uh, I was moved by that this morning. I was moved by your voices, uh, just the collective uh, voice together as we praise Jesus. And so I thank you. Thank you for that this morning. Um, it was good. So yeah, Ophi, actually, I'll just keep going. Ophi um, is our oldest, <clears throat> and she's going to be three in January. And right now, her life is all play. Like, it is all play. And we love it until we need her to do something. <laughs> right? Like, until we need to go do something. And it's like right around, like, ages two years old, something happens to these, like, little humans uh, where they just kind of, like, wake up to the world around them. Before then, you're their world, essentially, for the most part. Um, and, and you're doing certain things. Uh, like changing their diaper, you know, putting their clothes on, putting on shoes and socks. And most of the time, they just, they just do it. They just do it with you because you're the one that's doing it. And so they're just kind of like along for the ride uh, of, in your lives, essentially. And then, around that two years of age, Mark, uh, they're no longer along for the ride. They want to drive, essentially. No becomes their favorite word, um, and doing everything becomes significantly more challenging because you're having to navigate their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and opinions about things because for them, they live in a world, most of the time, that isn't reality. It isn't. Where infinite snacks and pouches magically appear in the pantry, where popsicles and candy are the most important food group where you can wear your princess dress everywhere, every day, and once upon a time is a world you can live in for hours on end because you can just go to the bathroom wherever you want. <laughs> right? Until, like that's the reality, until it is time for a diaper change or to take the dress off or dinner time with food that will actually sustain you. Or when it, your favorite snack runs out, then the harshness of reality hits. And for someone who has no capacity for rational thought or the ability to regulate their emotions well, at all even, um, if you've been around young kids for an extended period of time, you know how this goes. You know where I'm going. Right? Meltdown. And as we grow older, once upon a time becomes kids' stuff. Fairy tale. And by no means do I mean that in like a negative way. What I mean is that it simply loses most of its attraction. 
we grow and learn that life isn't a playground as much as it is a battleground. And we embark on the pursuit of what is real. Our first real relationship, our first real job, our first real car, and so on. We want something that is real. Whenever um, we're gonna be doing something that excites Ophelia or whenever like we say yes to something or whatever and that, that just gets her really pumped or excited, sometimes she'll say, oh, for real life? Some of you might know what show that's from. But I don't even think she knows what it means. I think she just hears it in, we watch Bluey, we love Bluey and Bluey's a great fun show. Um, but it's funny, oh, for real life? Yeah, Sophie, for real life. Today we're starting a series called Real Life. You have Ophelia to thank for that. Um, because the desire for something real and satisfying has been around since the beginning. And we have looked all over, humanity, mankind has looked all over for real, for satisfaction, but there's a difference between wanting something real and finding something real. Like a kid eating cotton candy, many people expect to bite into something real and end up with a mouthful of nothing. Whether it be wealth, power, knowledge, success, all of which are in fact real, sure, but then tell me why then do they leave us feeling empty, like something's missing with a desire for more. So for five weeks, we are going to be reading through the letter of 1 John together, exploring what the Apostle John has to say about real life. John believes real life can be found, but not in any thing or experience, but in a person, Jesus Christ, Son of God. So before we dive into the scriptures today, I'd like to pray. God, thank you for this time this morning and this opportunity to speak Jesus. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for the power in the name of Jesus, in the name of your Son. So God, as we dive into um, the scriptures and we read about Jesus, God, may you reveal to us um, your word. May we come to know you better and trust you deeper. We love you and we praise you, God. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles, or if you have the Bible app on your phone, that's great. Uh, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1. And this series, we're just going, we're going to be going through the book of 1 John. For the most part, verse by verse. The chapters get longer, so we'll struggle with that a little bit. I'll struggle with that a little bit. Um, but we're, we're going to do this. And um, before we dive in, I think it's important to get some context. It's important to understand some things about what we're about to read, such as the who, the where, the when, and the why. Um, that's always helpful for any book that you're reading in the scriptures, um, understanding and interpreting the scriptures. It's always important, to, or it's always helpful to dive into those things. Um, so uh, a man named John wrote this letter, that's unanimous, uh, but there is some debate as to which John wrote this 
letter um, because there's two Johns. Um, I think the one that makes the most sense is the beloved disciple of Jesus, John, son of Zebedee. Um, to me, he's the most likely candidate. Okay, and that's mostly because the style and vocabulary of this letter match so closely with the style and vocabulary of the Gospel of John. And we'll actually kind of, you'll see that. You know, I, I would actually add that to, that's homework for you, all right? As we're reading 1 John, go read John uh, chapter 1 after today. And you'll, you'll see, and even as we read through the letter of 1 John, you'll see some of the different um, just language that he uses, vocabulary that he uses. It comes up time and time again. Um, I actually think that's a, that's a really good idea. I'll, I'll be doing that with you if you decide to do it. Um, so John was likely writing to a few groups of Christians um, in Ephesus and the surrounding area in 90 AD, so not quite 60 years after, Jesus, after the death of Jesus. Um, and he's writing this letter to uplift and encourage this body of Christians in their faith and to trust in the person of Jesus. It's possible that he was also addressing two problematic heretical ideas circulating through uh, the Christian um, groups at that time. Um, one is the idea of docetism. Anyone familiar with that one? Okay, I wasn't either. <laughs> um, which believes that Jesus didn't have a real physical body or that he was just an illusion. And the other is the idea of Gnosticism. That one I had heard of. Um, but Gnosticism, which is, it's, they believe in salvation by knowledge or enlightenment. Both ideas appear to influence John's writings in this letter. Uh, but more than anything, John is writing this letter to highlight what God has done for us in the sending of his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for sin, causing the world's darkness to pass away for light and life, true, real life, to shine. So here we go, we're going to dive in. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, this letter starts very similar to John's gospel, um, but clearly he wants his readers to know something concerning the word of life, which is from the beginning. Think Genesis beginning, like begin, not like the beginning of this letter, but like the beginning of time, okay? So the word of life is from the beginning, and we have heard, seen, and touched it, John has. He goes on to, he's, he's talking about Jesus. We'll get there in a little bit. But he's saying the physical being, this isn't some like mystical thing, like no, he's real, I believe it. You can kind of catch that, that docetism kind of coming in. He might be attacking that with this. But this, it's, an, it's significant. Jesus was a real living human being that walked the earth. And from his death to this day, in some groups, that's controversial. So, that's how John starts. He goes on to say, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The ancient Jew Jews believed that world history was divided into two periods, or ages. There was the present age, which was full of misery and suffering and justice and oppression, okay? And then there was the age to come, the time when God would just would sort it all out, make things right. 
And there would, there would be a particular rescue where he would rescue his people from all the injustice, all the oppression and evil that they, the oppression and evil that they had suffered. Unfortunately, the word for age has often been translated as eternal or eternity, which has given us readers the idea um, that John and other early Christian writers, such as Paul, who refer to God's new age, were thinking of something eternal in the sense of purely spiritual. That's what people often hear when they think or hear of the phrase eternal life. We might think of something that's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's eternal life. It's not, that's not here and now, not necessarily tangible, something that doesn't really have anything to do with our world now of time, space, and matter, or in other words, real life. But I kind of think that that is a mistake. John, like Paul and Jesus himself, are thinking of the new age, the age to come that God has promised. Yes, but that future age, that eternal life, God revealed. The beginning of verse 2 writes, the life appeared. That word appeared, phanero, in the Greek, literally means revealed. The life has been revealed. The age to come has been revealed. Real life, life in its full, life full of, of satisfaction and vibrant meaning, life which death tried to corrupt, thwart, and kill, but life that overcame death itself was now on offer to anyone who wanted to come and take it. Life itself had come to life. Word became flesh and had taken up the form of a human being coming into the present from God's future, coming to display God's coming age. And the name of that life is, of course, Jesus. And so sometimes I think when we hear or read eternal life, especially in moments like this, we kind of like have this cognitive dissonance with what it means for us today in our lives. When, when, we, when we look at it and we understand that it is about the life revealed in Jesus for us now in the present, that is the future, that God's displaying for the world now a glimpse of what life is going to be, real life. Man, I think that's a perspective shift that can change the way we do things. Keep going here. So, verse three, we proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This life that John has heard, seen and heard, he proclaims to us so that we might have fellowship with him who is in fellowship with God and his son Jesus. What is, what is fellowship though? If you've been in church or around churchy people, you've probably heard this word before. Uh, the word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, a term that conveys a sense of commonality, solidarity, and a shared responsibility among people. Honestly, until digging into this, I thought fellowship was just the Christian way of saying we're going to have fun. That's, that's the truth. Now, I'm not wrong, but I'm also not right. <laughs> 
But John writes, when we share in this belief of Jesus that he is life, not just in the future, but here and now too, we have fellowship. That's what it means to have fellowship. The intimate inner reality, real life that Jesus shares with his father, that Jesus shares with John, who shares it with us. And in this fellowship, John says, our joy is made complete. Older translations, I don't know what Bible you're reading from, but some might say, your joy is made complete. Most translations have our joy, which I actually believe is more accurate to John's point, which is that our joy, collectively, together, our joy is complete when we have fellowship with God and when we have fellowship with each other, one another. Our joy is made complete. Whole. Fully realized. When we're in fellowship with God and each other. This is verse 5. He goes on to say, this is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Light has this symbolic significance throughout the scriptures, meaning both knowledge and purity. But like, if we really think about it, just kind of get plain and simple with it, it just makes sense. Darkness literally cannot exist in light. It cannot be dark if there is light. So John's going to use this metaphor to set up where he's going. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now this might seem pretty obvious, right? If we say we're followers of Jesus, that we have fellowship with Jesus, but we continue to walk in darkness, then we're liars, right? Seems pretty straightforward. But we're going to hit this idea of walking in the light more next week, but for today, I just want to keep it simple. When we have fellowship with Jesus, it's like the lights have been turned on. You no longer have to walk in the dark. We walk in the dark, dark a lot at our house because we've got two little kids and we don't want to like wake them up at night, especially the one that's sleeping in our room. And uh, man, it hurts when you stub your toe. You all know this. Like it is excruciatingly painful and it really shouldn't be. I feel like it shouldn't be that painful, but it is. Walking in the dark is not fun. You can't see what's in front of you. You can't see if you're walking on the path towards where you want to be going or if you're walking on a path that's going to lead you off a cliff. When we walk in the dark, we can't see that we're just steps away from disaster, from stubbing our toe. In the dark, you can't tell rocks from diamonds. The light reveals us and what is around us. A real relationship with Jesus requires a real response from us. It requires the lights being turned on. With, it requires us to be okay with what the lights reveal, with what we're afraid to look at or for others to see, with the path that the light reveals. 
that the path might be difficult or require us to even let go of some things. If your life before the lights turned on, before the lights were turned on, before you believed in Jesus, looks exactly like your life after Jesus, like nothing's changed, like you're still doing kind of your thing, whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, then I would encourage you, I would encourage you to consider if you truly have a relationship with Jesus. Real life with Jesus requires us to address the sin in our lives. And this isn't meant to be harsh. Back up to the top, like you can't just eat popsicles and candy all the time and expect to be healthy, Ophelia. It's just reality. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness for real life. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, there's no point in hiding if we pretend to be in fellowship with him while walking in the dark, in other words, behaving in like less than human ways that we often choose, we are telling lies. If we say we have no sin, we are simply deceiving ourselves, we're fooling ourselves. But we don't deceive God. In fact, if we tried to say that we were not sinners, what does it say in verse 10? We'd be making matters worse. We would be making God out to be a liar. Since he has said in the scripture and in person that he has come to rescue us, knowing us to be sinners. We're going to sneak into chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anytime, I feel like anytime forgiveness is brought up, there's always this kind of, this, this, this pocket that's like, well, yeah, you know, that, that's cool, we can talk about, we can talk about forgiveness, but like, you know, forgiveness is a really kind of scandalous thing. Because, like, you know, if, if you can always go to God and, and be forgiven, like, what keeps you from not sinning anymore? What's, what's, what's the point of that? We have this uh, really cool green chair in our house. Um, I don't know why I got a green chair, and it was before kids. Definitely wasn't a smart move. Um, but uh, we have a green chair in our house, and it's awesome, and I love it. And I was so excited for my parents to see it. My parents kind of have this really cool style, and they're kind of unique, quirky, okay? My dad kind of looks like Bon Jovi, okay, a little bit. So everyone's just like, oh, man, your dad's so cool. Us and your parents are the coolest. I'm like, yeah, they're cool, I guess, whatever. Anyway, I was so excited for, this, for them to see this green chair. And before they came over, I spilled 
like a mug full of coffee all over this cool green chair. And so I was freaking out. Like, no! I just wanted them to see how cool this green chair was, how awesome this thing is. It's, it's beautiful, it's amazing, and now look at it, it's a complete mess. It's crap. I might as well throw it out. Call up my parents. You guys can't come over anymore. Sorry, can't. Truth is, I had this really cool green chair, and I wanted to show it to you guys. Now I can't, because I got coffee all over it. And they tell me, Austin, it's cool. Guess what? We have this magical spray. You just spray it on. You just spray it. You don't even have to wipe it. You don't have to do anything. You just spray it on, and it disappears. In fact, it's better than new. You know what I did? I went and just threw coffee all over that chair. Does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense. For someone to keep on sinning, to go on sinning, after it experienced true forgiveness, I don't think it was ever true. I don't know if the gospel fully got to them. Because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Listen to me, friends. We're not going to be perfect. If you're here this morning and you're a human, all of you are, we're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to try to hide it. Why deny it or ignore it as if it's not a big deal? Friends, we read, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. As sinners, we need to know that Jesus has died for us and that we can be fully and freely forgiven. As forgiven sinners, we need to know that this is not a reason to go on sinning. Both are true, and both are at the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus and live real life. And so today, this week, what sins, what sins do you need to confess to Jesus or one another? Band, you guys can make your way on up. As we enter into this time of song, as we lift up the saving name of Jesus, friends, may we be reminded of the very ways that Jesus has rescued us the very ways he continues to rescue us. And then may we ask him to keep rescuing us. May we build our life on the real life that is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. Can I pray for us this morning?
God, as we speak your name, as we sing, as we praise you, God, may we be reminded of the very things, the very ways that you have rescued us and saved us from. I don't know um, the dark places of the lives in this room today, Lord, but you do. God, I pray that you would give us the courage. Just hand those over to you to share those with you, to ask for forgiveness, God. And then to live in a way, to strengthen us in a way. God, through your Holy Spirit, to walk in the light. Consequences of sin is death. And we're looking for real life. Which Jesus you have bled and died for. So God, we, we thank you for that. We humbly ask for your forgiveness. Lead us in the light and in the way everlasting, Jesus, as we follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.